If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free, which for us is really important. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Emergency Docs. I'm Dr. R. Please note that the content of this episode does not constitute medical advice, but is purely for the purpose of education. This episode was supported by the National Geographic Society's Emergency Fund for Journalists. Today we're excited to talk to Stephanie Giambello. And I'm going to say it like that because she told me she's from a Sicilian background. So we had served as an executive director for Safety Belt Safe USA from 1982 to 2021. Safety Belt Safe USA is a national nonprofit focused on reducing deaths and injuries of children and their families through the use of correct, consistent use of safety seats and safety belts and continues as a senior program consultant. Her work led to the federal requirement for rear seat shoulder lap belts in motor vehicles in 1989 to other efforts to improve the resources and programs in the field through laws, regulation, and program developments. She is the recipient of the national and statewide recognition over the years, and she was made an initial member of the Child Passenger Safety Hall of Fame in 2017. She also received the National Highway Safety Administration Award for Public Service in 1983. Currently, her focus is on two of the misunderstood or neglected aspects of child passenger safety. The need to understand how to use and teach the five-step test that shows that children need booster seats until ages 10 to 12 and the occupant protection risks to children riding with their drivers who are impaired. We should note that Stephanie has prepared some slides for this discussion, so they'll be available on the website and also in the YouTube version of this episode. So first, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in promoting safety belt use. And I would also love to hear the story of the first time you used a safety belt. In 1962, I was preparing to drive across the United States in a brand new car, the 62 VW Beetle. On the dashboard was a little paper message that said, fasten your seatbelt. So I buckled up with the lap belt that was all that was in the front seat of a brand new car. That was my first experience with a safety belt. It took many more years until my daughter was born for me to truly understand about child passenger safety. And so how did you get involved in promoting safety belt use? Well, it started was that I received an article written by the first female automotive safety columnist in Women's Day. And it explained how important it was to choose particular safety seats that were crash tested. From that, I tried to buy one for my then five-month-old daughter. And I will put up slide number one so you can see what I put her in that she used for seven years. The Ford Tot Guard, which was the first crash tested safety seat. 
It first came out in 1968, and it wasn't easy to get. So that led me to join a group of women who were working on consumer product issues. And in the course of that, we dealt with grocery stores. We arranged to get the state to require that drugstores give you the prices for prescription drugs. And then we went into protecting children from injuries, which is the number one cause of their deaths and and therefore very important to do, but not very popular. For safety belts themselves, as I said, they were not required in the way that you see them today when we first got started in the 1970s. It took years to work on this, but there were lots of contacts with the federal government between volunteers and officials during that time. Safety belts themselves literally came from Sweden, and it's only a few years ago that they celebrated their 50th birthday. They are the most effective safety equipment freestanding. In other words, of course, the more equipment that you have in the car to protect you and your loved ones, the better. But the safety belt itself has been very effective. It's so funny because we sort of take safety belts and child safety seats for granted. They just exist my entire life. We've always been told to use them. But this is something you really had to work toward and advocate for over the last few decades. Yes, that's certainly true. Safety seats didn't have a good standard right away. We had to work on that. And we do have the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard 213 and 225 now. So when you purchase a seat in a legitimate store, you get a seat that has to meet that standard. If it doesn't, the manufacturer must make it good. That's one part of the standard. As soon as money changes hands, the manufacturer is responsible if the federal government or if they themselves find a problem that it's not meeting the standard. So we're pretty well protected if you purchase from a legitimate resource. So Stephanie, you're saying that the seatbelt came from Sweden. I'm assuming not IKEA, but when did they become a required law or a requirement? Well, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration was started in about 1966, and one of their first acts was to start on the belts. They've put the shoulder lap belts in the front, but not in the back. And what we were working on is getting shoulder lap belts in the back seat. And I petitioned the federal government in 1988 for that on behalf of Safety Belt Safe, and we were granted that, but they laughed at us about wanting to have them in the center of the back seat. They said that was impossible. So they only required them on the outboard positions next to the doors. It took 20 more years going through Congress to make that into a standard. So as you can see, each step in safety takes a lot of research and description. What was our excuse for not wanting to have that center belt in the rear? They said it was impossible. There was nothing to attach it to. I mean, the thing that also happens is as the community became more safety aware, then the companies heard that. And their engineers, of course, knew that 
these things were important. But the priority comes when the public begins to be interested. And of course, now it's hard to believe because safety is one of the things that people look for in a vehicle. And there are all these rating systems. Consumers Union, by the way, just announced that they're going to be doing more ratings of the rear seat in terms of protection. This is very recent. All the focus has been on the front seat. And of course, our focus has been on the rear seat because that's where children should stay until they're at least 13. So same question for child safety seats then. When did we realize we needed them? When did they become a law? Well, the first child passenger safety law was introduced in Tennessee thanks to the late pediatrician Robert Sanders. And he and his wife, Pat, were behind that. The initial law still had to allow people to hold a babe in arms. It took him several years to get them to take that out. But between that law going into effect in Tennessee and the last state to pass the law, was only until 1985. And one of the impressive parts of this is there was no paid campaign. I can assure you that the manufacturers of safety seats did not pony up a lot of money to get volunteers to go to state houses and say, we need a law. The way we did it in California, a volunteer set up a booth at the L.A. County Fair, and we had a little rear screen projector with some silent footage of what happens in a low-speed crash at 20 to 25 miles an hour. And we had postcards, and people could look at the video if they wanted to. They could write out a postcard for us to take to the legislature. And day and night, the volunteers stayed there through the whole county fair for three weeks, I believe. And we took all those cards with us. We had a receptive state legislator who was carrying the bill, and we got it through. But, of course, it's been improved several times since, and it needs more improvement, mostly to make it clear to the public that children will need to be in a booster seat until they're at least 10 to 12 years of age, and that they should ride in the back seat to age 13. I'm speaking about California law. Every state has its own variety. Well, if they're my size, I should probably still be in a booster seat. (laughs) Well, you bring up a very important point, actually. Because you're an adult, your bones are fully formed. As physicians, you know that. But a child's hip bones don't really start to form well until they're about 10. And so there's nothing to keep the lap belt down low and out of the abdomen. So it's extremely important that they use a booster seat to position the shoulder lap belt properly, but also to put them in the correct range for the safety equipment that's already in the car, the padding, possibly side airbags, and so forth. So booster seats are for older kids. We have a five-step test that you can use. It's very, very simple. Every child can learn it. And that tells you whether the belt fits. In your case, you want to make sure that you look at the car and see if there's an adjuster on the shoulder belt so you can bring it down a little lower on your shoulder. But for everyone, the belt should be 
in the center of the shoulder and below the hip bones. Stephanie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that there's states that don't require seatbelts. What's the current laws and rules right now in the United States or different, you know, concerning seatbelts and car seats? Well, safety seats are required to some age in every state. But you're correct that New Hampshire does not have a safety belt law at all. And many states have what are called secondary laws for people in the back seat. That is not safe because what happens in a crash, and a lot of people don't understand this, when your vehicle hits something, everything in the car goes toward that point of impact at the speed the car was going at the time that it hit. So at 30 miles an hour, and only use this for your multiplier, by the way, because, you know, mathematics is very special. You can take the weight of the object or person or dog or hammer or whatever and multiply that by 30 to get the weight. So if you weigh 100 pounds, you're going to be 3,000 pounds of force. So if you're sitting in the back seat and you're not buckled in, you're going to travel toward the point of impact and you could injure or kill somebody else in the car because you're not held back. You know, Princess Diana is probably one of the most famous people lost in a crash that people know about. She would have lived if she'd been buckled up, but she flew through the car and went into the windshield. And it's a a tragic story, but it's just one more example of how people don't quite understand what happens in a crash. I hope that some of your listeners will look at some of the slides that we have because you can see the the difference between the safety seat that my daughter was in and then what her twins were using at about the same age. You can also see the breadth of the, the areas that we work on, everything from a sad picture of a tree with ribbons on it that commemorates the loss of a woman and her son because the boyfriend was driving impaired and the child was not in a booster seat, to the much more cheerful aspects of what we do, which we check safety seats and we educate people to be able to help. And of course, for the professionals who are listening, I hope that you will be able to incorporate some of this information into what you share with the families you serve. And we're happy to help. Absolutely. So we have an international audience. So can you talk a little bit about seatbelt and car seat safety in the rest of the world? Well, one of the things that many don't know is that injuries are one of the major causes of death in uh, all over the world. So that's the first thing. And traffic injuries are a major part of that, and they continue to grow as more and more people get into cars and trucks and motorbikes and so forth in order to get around. But not every country has well-designed roads or safety equipment in their vehicles or regulations. One of the slides that we have, slide number three, shows us in Malaysia training child passenger safety technicians there. And they have been so effective. 
they have gotten a law in their country. And it is so important because they had as many deaths in Malaysia of children in car crashes as we in the United States. And of course, our population is far greater. So it's very, very important. Now, there are a number of different standards. The EU, European Union, has a very fine standard. It's somewhat different from ours, but it's a good standard. And Australia, New Zealand, Japan, many countries have adopted standards. However, because they're not all one standard and each of them has some positives and, you know, some better parts, it's hard to get everybody to agree on a single one. For example, in the United States, we've made huge strides in getting seats to be able to be used rear-facing. We're catching up with Sweden. Sweden has had seats that children could ride rear-facing to age four for decades. And then we have another problem that's come along with all this, and that is the fake, counterfeit, or just totally inappropriate, quote, safety seat that is sold a lot on the internet. So I just want to warn people that, number one, if you live in the United States, you are required in every state to be using the seat that meets that federal motor vehicle safety standard that I mentioned. Also, another important part of that is you should register your seat when you buy it. It comes with a card or you can do it online. But that's very important because remember I said the businesses, the companies are responsible for keeping that seat up to the standard. They can't find you unless you register with them. They're not allowed to send you any advertising information or sell your name or anything like that. So only about 20% of people do that. If you can think about passing that word on to everybody, that's a big help. In the EU, you have to go and check with the lab that did the testing of the particular seat. So my colleague in Malaysia, she has to check the actual label and find the lab to find out whether a seat is fake or not. This is amazing. I feel like there's some statistics that show that just buckling up has decreased uh, automobile deaths by like almost 50%. So it's still amazing that people don't buckle up. Can we talk about a little bit of proper and improper use of seatbelts? Everyone needs to wear the belt properly, which means in the center of the shoulder and down low on the hip bones when you're talking about a shoulder lap belt. When you're talking about a woman who's pregnant, however, there's some interesting research that shows that Perhaps 90% of the women queried about this said that they were wearing the belt, but they weren't wearing both parts correctly. It's very important, again, to have that belt across the center of your chest and down underneath the bump and a little bit to the side so that the forces are taken on the strong parts of the body. And it's extremely important for pregnant women to buckle up. The data are not kind. Trauma and pregnancy, as you probably know, is an issue, and this is not the only source of it. But there is an estimate that five times as many fetuses are lost as children in the first year of life from car crashes. So it's well to deal with that. Lap belts, we've managed to get them out of the newer cars, 
But if you have a very old car and all you have is a lap belt, that's fine for holding a safety seat in. In fact, that's the way they're tested. But also, even for a, a person, it's better to be attached to the frame of the vehicle rather than to be loose in the vehicle. So just because shoulder lap belts are better doesn't mean that you shouldn't take advantage of any protective equipment that's there. And just as I said, please don't go on the internet and just buy items that are advertised to to fix your car. I say this also about some of the equipment that should be in a modern vehicle, but sometimes people try to sell stuff on the internet inappropriately. So don't be taken in by some of the things that are advertised there. How about car seats? What are the biggest misuses or common mispractices that you've seen or noticed? Well, I have a slide showing both the pregnant woman properly buckled up and the rear-facing child, and then another one of uh, two children who are buckled up in a forward-facing seat with a harness and a booster seat, as well as a youngster who is rear-facing at what to some people might seem to be a lot older than they would expect. So let me go through what's really important. Remember, facing the rear is the best way to ride. In fact, if we were rational, everyone in the car would face the rear except the driver. And in fact, when we have automatic vehicles where there are no steering wheels, that is definitely what we should do but it's hard to overcome people's expectation of how they should ride. Your back, as you well know, is far stronger than your spine and your neck. And so what happens in a frontal crash is you're thrown toward the front, your head moves toward the front, but your lower body is held in. And so there's a lot of stress there. Now, it's hard enough on an adult, but on a child, it's really dangerous because if you think about it, a child is all head and we're all body. And so the head leads the child. But if you have the child restrained and they're not flying through the car, there's a lot of stress on that spinal cord and you can have it snap. So please, rear facing at least until age two. But today's safety seats, thanks to the pressure and the excitement from child passenger safety technicians and families and leadership people, our safety seats go as high as 45 to 50 pounds facing the rear. So you can really come up to what the Swedes are doing if you want, and they have an extraordinarily low death rate from car crashes. When do you guys recommend changing from a rear-facing seat to a forward-facing seat for kids? Well, the phrase is usually as long as possible, checking what your seat says. But what I would say is first you want to choose a safety seat that will allow your child to ride facing the rear until 45 or 50 pounds. So you have that possibility. And if you can keep a child rear-facing four years or more, that's excellent. When you do turn the child forward, which you might have to do if the youngster's head is too close to the top of the plastic of the seat rear-facing, you want to make sure that the strap that's on the top of the seat 
with a hook on it. It's called a tether strap is attached to the car. This is in addition to the safety belt. And the reason for that is that holds the whole top of the seat back and there's not as much pressure again on the child's spine. So one of the biggest errors is that people don't realize they need to attach that strap. By the way, if you have an older car, say one that's before 2001, 1999, you probably can have that bolt put in even though it's not in there already because due to Canada's requiring it much earlier than we did and some of the choices that some of the manufacturers made, they can be retrofitted. But again, don't go on the internet and just try to buy something to do this. Please get in touch with Safety Belt Safe USA so we can make a referral for you and explain to you what you can have done for your car. We actually run the Toyota Lexus retrofit program for that company. And I talk to parents all over our country who have older vehicles and we can help them to get it done at a reasonable price. And we're going to put your website and phone number, the helpline, so that if anyone has questions on that, they can give you a call. But that'll be in the podcast description as well as available on the blog. That would be terrific. And I would also like to point out that besides having the safety seat in tightly, so you put your hand on the seat above where the safety belt goes through it, you take your hand and you try to move it to the safety seat to the sides in front of the car, and it shouldn't move more than an inch. That's the first thing that people often don't do. Secondly, the harness system on the child needs to be snug enough so you cannot pinch the fabric of the harness between your thumb and forefinger. And so what I advise, especially with a newborn, put the baby in bottom first, Put the harness on and it should be coming at or just below the child's shoulders. Snug it up and you'll see with a U.S. seat, there will be a plastic clip. We call it a chest clip. Keep it down low to begin with. Snug the harness. Take your thumb and forefinger and try to pinch the harness between them. If you can't pinch any fabric and it slides off, then push the chest clip to armpit level. If you push the clip up first and then try to tighten it, especially with a newborn, you might send it into their chin and then you'll be nervous. We don't want that. We want you to feel comfortable about it. So a snug harness, a tight safety belt, a tether attached when the seat is forward facing. Please don't add anything to your safety seat. If it's really cold, strap before you wrap. In other words, strap the child in, and then you can put a blanket over the child. But again, as you as physicians know, children really don't need to be bundled up that much. They get warm pretty quickly. And so don't be as worried about that as a lot of parents are. I'm not saying don't put clothes on them, but don't add a lot of thick padding. Yeah, I read that the heavy coats can actually stay in the car seat and allow the child to slide out in an accident in some cases because the compression of the puffy coats and things like that. Yes, and I'm going to correct you, doctor. Okay. It's not an accident. 
it's a crash, a collision, or an incident. Because we know that vehicles hit one another. Because we know, and our Secretary of Transportation made this very clear last week, human beings make mistakes. We try to be perfect, but we're not always perfect. And so it is likely that there will be incidents in which two cars will hit one another or a car will hit something else. So we don't want people to think that this is just something that happens and there's no expectation of that. Noted. From this point forward, I will say collision. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you will, because I know how much you care about the people for with whom you work. And I hope that people will look at the pictures of the pregnant woman and of the children. And one of the questions that we get all the time is, well, if I leave my child rear-facing to age four, what about legs and feet? We're going to have broken legs. Well, to tell you the truth, we don't start to see leg injury until children are forward-facing. It's really remarkable how well a rear-facing seat works. Thank you for bringing that up because that is misconception that I feel I've heard commonly or seen on the internet when looking at seat safety as a parent. So the research really does support keeping that seat rear-facing and that children have many, many fewer injuries rearward-facing than forward-facing, like you said. Yes. And not only that, you know, we bring our own experiences to things and to situations. And As you get older, it gets harder and harder to get your legs in weird positions, right? But children are very flexible. And so they will cross their legs. They'll put them up the back of the seat back. They'll hang them over the sides of the seat. They'll they'll find a way. And they will not be uncomfortable in the way you or I would be if we had to do the same thing. So that's another part of understanding the difference between children and adults in terms of development. And all of these factors go into what we would recommend. Let me tell you about the five-step test, because the first thing I would say is if you're talking to a pregnant woman, just let her know that she has at least 10 years of safety seats ahead of her. And then how do you know when your child fits in the belt? And here it is. The child should sit in the back seat with his or her back up against the vehicle seat back, then you put the shoulder lap belt on and you look, are the child's knees folded over the front of the seat? If they aren't, they've already failed the five-step test. The second thing is the shoulder belt resting naturally between the neck and the top of the arm. Children do not strangle in safety belts, but if they're uncomfortable with the position, they may put that belt under the arm or behind their back. Now they're in real trouble. Now, the part of the belt that almost no one looks at is the lap belt, and that has to be low under those hip bones and touching the thighs. And finally, children are not dummies. Children are children. So you have to decide whether they can stay in that position no matter how long the trip is. So a booster seat helps because it supports the thighs as well as positioning the child within the right parts of the vehicle to take advantage of the safety equipment and avoid having the safety belt in the wrong parts of the body. Years ago, by the way, We had to put children in booster seats at age four because there weren't any high-weight seats. 
But now you can buy a very reasonably priced seat that goes to 65 pounds. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much. And so now that we have some background in proper use of child safety seats and seat belts, we're going to discuss a case. So a mom and a dad are driving home from the hospital with their newborn baby. The baby came a little early, so they didn't have the car seat set up yet. Dad had a little champagne in the hospital room and then went out to the parking garage and just sort of attached the car seat by wrapping the seatbelt around the outside, and it seemed like it was pretty secure. Mom and dad brought the baby down together and then put the baby in the seat. They didn't really want the straps to be too tight because they didn't want the baby to choke. So then mom got in the backseat next to the baby, but she didn't put her seatbelt on because it hurt her C-section incision. So then dad got in the front seat to drive, put his seatbelt on, and they started driving home. So we made this case to highlight, I guess, some of the issues that can occur with good intentions. So can you kind of walk us through some of the important learning points from this case? Yes, I'll be happy to do that. And I think that it's a very important piece because it starts out with the whole concept of instructions. Now, I will say my impression of Americans is that we don't think we really need to read instructions. (laughs) We think we can just figure it out by looking. But with your safety seat, that is number one. And if somebody is helping you, by the way, put a safety seat in and they are not using the instructions, you have to question whether they know what they're doing because they should be showing you that they understand the instructions are important. So you would never wrap a safety belt around a safety seat. There's a very specific belt path. And if you have a seat that goes both rear-facing and forward-facing, there will be two different belt paths. As far as harnessing the child, you want to strap close to the child's body, so just over normal clothing. It's always a good idea for the baby to be in something with legs so you can see easily where the crotch strap goes. Then you want to snug it, as we said, and do the pinch test. You also mentioned that mom didn't buckle up. Not only is that dangerous for her, but she's probably facing the rear-facing child. I'm assuming they at least put the baby in facing the rear. And she might be thrown on top of that youngster. Remember, we're at 30 miles an hour. We're going to multiply her weight by 30 to see how much force she would put on that little tiny baby. So she's a danger to herself and everyone in the car. And of course, her baby needs her. So we don't want her to be injured. Then you mentioned that dad had a little champagne. Now, Probably that little sip of champagne isn't going to change the way he drives. But remember, he's nervous too. And so that combination probably isn't a good idea. But one of the things that we're working on is that most people don't realize that about 20% of the children who die in car crashes are in crashes where there's an impaired driver, someone who's taken on board alcohol or drugs. When you look at those statistics, you find that the majority of the children who die, die in the car with the impaired driver. Children cannot get out of the car on their own. They cannot say, friends, ask friends not to drive while drunk. They rely on us 
to get the message across that when children are involved, for sure, zero alcohol, zero drugs, zero distraction is really the message that we want to get across. And we know that people don't believe that a sip or two is going to impair them. But if you've ever tried one of those tests where they set it up as if you have been drinking and tried to drive, you would find out how distorted your impressions of what is going on around you is. And I will tell you that a lot of people don't understand that cannabis has a major effect as well and prescription drugs as well. So with all of these possibilities, we're trying to get that message across to people. Please, zero alcohol, zero drugs, and help those children because they cannot get out of the car on their own. You hit a really interesting point, the fact that sometimes polypharmacy, you know, grandma, grandpa driving grandkids sometimes under certain medications could be considered impaired, you know, and some people forget that. So I'm glad that you highlighted that. I'm very interested to know, is there a place in the back rear that it's safer? For example, is it safer to have it on the right rear, left rear, or center rear, the the car seats? Because I've read somewhere where the left rear tends to be, for whatever reason, higher mortality rate in terms of that collisions? Well, statistically, we don't have evidence for one side or the other. What we do know is that the center of the backseat is the farthest from all the points of impact. So if you can get a good fit, then take advantage of that. Another piece that I didn't go into because, you know, we, we can't cover everything in child passenger safety, but I do think it's important because of adjustments that were made to safety belts to try to make them fit on adults better in the back seat. There were problems where the safety belt was forward of the crack of the seat. So a system which includes lower connectors was added to the safety seats and bars are in the bite or the crack of the back seat. They're usually in just two locations and they are rarely in the center. That's another time where you need to look at the instructions. Now, your safety belts have had to be lockable manually since 1996. So in most cars, you can use a safety belt from the beginning. But if you choose to use those lower connectors and the connector bars that are in the car, remember, they have a total weight limit of 65 pounds. That means the seat and the safe and the child. So be aware of that because a lot of parents who use them to begin with never notice that and don't make the change to the belt. Your safety belt will take 6,000 pounds of force because it's designed for a 200 pound man. So be aware of that. So again, a good question about the center of the back. If you get a good fit there, you can get a tight belt. You can meet all the components. Remember with a newborn, the angle of recline is important because we have to keep that airway open. The child's head has to lie back naturally. But now that we're keeping seat children rear-facing longer, we can have two different angles rear-facing. So as they get older, it can be more upright, which is safer for the bigger child. 
Speaking of the airway, I actually recently read a story about a child who was left in their car safety seat and brought into the house and remained restrained in the seat and suffocated. Can you talk a little bit about why we should not do that? Yes, and I think that's, I'm very glad you brought that up especially when people have the rear-facing only seats that have the handles. There's a great temptation if baby falls asleep in the car to just take the safety seat into the house and leave it. The, the point is that the child can move around, the seat can topple. The Often parents have a loose harness, especially if the baby's sleeping, they think it's loose in the harness, then they get twisted in it. The other thing that happens is people put blankets over them again, and then the the child can't move the blanket off the nose. So safety seats are for the car. And sure, you go into the restaurant, you take the child in in the safety seat. It's right next to you. You keep an eye on that baby, right? But when you're home, the phone rings, or you have to go and pick up a message, or you go to wash the dishes then you're distracted and the baby stays there. I can tell you that this really does happen. Unfortunately, one of our technician instructors who was also in law enforcement had that happen with a relative. It isn't just little babies. It's also toddlers. And this can happen in a daycare setting. That was the case that I read was a two-year-old at daycare. While we're talking about forgetting I can tell you we all have this capability. Children have been dying of heat stroke because they were forgotten in a vehicle because they were in the back seat. And what happens is, especially if one of the parents is very tired or is out of a regular scheduled pattern. So, for example, mom always takes the baby to daycare, except this day, dad was supposed to. And you get in the car and you go on automatic pilot. I just go to work, right? I park my car. I don't take my child to daycare. Suddenly, eight hours later, you find a deceased child. This is one of the great tragedies. And one of the things that happened in the bill that President Biden just signed is that there has to be a standard set for recognizing when a child or an animal is left in a car. That's going to be a part of the regulations in the, we hope, relatively near future. So there are a number of points to make on your checklist. When you have a baby in the back seat, Take a stuffed animal, your purse, your phone, your briefcase, whatever it is that you wouldn't leave the car without. Put the stuffed animal in the front seat when the baby's in the back seat. Put the phone and the briefcase and the purse in the back seat when the baby's in the back seat. Then you'll be more likely to check the back seat. Oh, today's the day I was supposed to stop by daycare. So help yourself, help your child. And by the way, in California, we have a higher rate of children who were on purpose left in the car alone. And that is against California law. And it will be a $500 fine, including court costs. So don't do that. 
for the child's welfare and for your pocketbook. But that Caitlin's Law came from a tragedy in which a, a child care provider went to do something inside and left the ch- Caitlin in the back. And when she came out, Caitlin was no longer alive. And so her mother and grandmother worked with the legislature to get that law. And if you're a good Samaritan and you see a child or an animal that's in the back seat of a vehicle and obviously struggling, look for someone, law enforcement, try to get someone from the fire department. But if you cannot find anyone and that youngster is, is clearly in trouble, you have permission to get into that car and then call for for help, but open that car so the child can breathe. Because the heat in a car goes up very fast, much faster than the outside temperature because of the way cars are made, because of the materials in them, and because of the concentration of the of the exterior heat on the vehicle. I've made it sound like it's all disaster. I can just tell you that once children are used to riding in the car in a safety seat, you're going to be so happy because there are a lot of things that happen when a child is loose in the car that you don't want to have happen while you're driving, and they will get along much better. So it'll be easier for you in the long run, too. Most definitely. So please take a look at our slides And if you have any questions, our helpline, we love to get calls or emails, and we always try to get back to people. So take advantage of that. And we even have on our website now a few little YouTube little videos that are kind of very short that deal with some of the questions that people have that we often don't get to because there's so much information. So feel free to link to those if If you're a professional and you work with families, I encourage you to take a look at all of this information so you have a sense of what the basics are. And we provide different kinds of training so that we can help people to help the families for which they, whom they care. Well, Stephanie, that was very interesting, very informative. Thank you so much for your time. And, you know, for our listeners, don't forget to buckle up. Don't forget to use proper seatbelt and child seat etiquette. And don't Google things. Ask the experts. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can have you back. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. As emergency providers, I think we see what happens when people don't wear their seatbelts, when they aren't using proper child safety seats, when they're driving impaired. And you don't want to end up in our emergency departments on a gurney after a collision. So (laughs) thank you so much, Stephanie. We really appreciate your time. Do you have any final tips or uh, anything else you'd like everyone to know before we wrap this up? Well, I just will say that I went into this field because of there's something going on here. I went into this field because of my daughter. And I think a lot of people get interested in this kind of thing because they are now parents. But I wanted to say that it is such a thrill to be working with you who are in the emergency room because you can impact this issue. People are in stress. That's true but you can have some information for them and you can be alert to some of the issues and just 
kindly help people to realize that they wouldn't be facing the problem exactly the way they are that day. Or you can say to someone, I know you brought your child in to be checked. Was the youngster in a safety seat? Oh, yes, the parent says. Well, we're so glad because guess what? There is no injury. One of our board members was traveling in another state. She had three children. Her husband was driving. Luckily, she was sitting in the back seat with her children. They came around a bend. They were going at freeway speed, and there was something in the road. When the van hit that, it rolled. One week later, we were having our annual special event. All of them were there. One child, the forward-facing child, had a broken leg. The rear-facing child had no injury at all. And guess what injured the mom? Her cell phone. She was holding her cell phone. It gashed her arm. So it just shows you. She had put all the suitcases, stowed them away, so they did not become missiles in that crash because there's been research done in Norway which showed that when they found children who died in crashes but they were properly buckled up, a large percentage of them were hit by suitcases. So all of this, these are just the laws of physics. We can't change them. Yeah, my purse probably qualifies as a suitcase, so I should uh, think about that. Yes, that's true. Just anything you have, just think to yourself, would I like it to hit my child in the face at 30 times its weight? I think the answer is no to that, yeah. Yes, and so if you just use that little formula, it's accurate, it meets the physics. Having been married to a physicist, I had him do all the calculations. I know that it's accurate, and so... Definitely keep that in mind because we want everyone to have a good ride. Every ride, a safe ride. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit www.carseat.org. That's all one word, C-A-R-S-E-A-T dot org. Or you can call 1-800-745-SAFE. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating, review, subscribe, or send this episode to someone you know who might enjoy it. Feel free to connect with us on our website at theemergencydocs.com or Instagram at theemergencydocs. Until next time.